0: makes the heart grow fonder. And so we are eager, as Stephanie said earlier, to be with you all again today. Wasn't it good to have Pastor Corey here last week? I'm so I'm so glad. Am I on here? Have I muted myself? No, I'm good. Okay. Uh, I'm so glad for the word he shared, and I'm thankful that you all were able to, to hear his story. God is alive and active, right? God is moving in people's lives, bringing Life where there is decay, hope where there is cynicism, and grace where there is shame. And I think that his story highlighted that quite well. I have to add that I asked Corey how it went, and uh, I was uh, just, uh, you know, I know some of you are older than me, but I felt kind of like a proud parent when I heard his response. He He said, your members are some of the kindest people, thanks for the opportunity. I just... You're some of the kindest people, and I, I just really was was blessed by, by that, and uh, yeah, so thank you for your hospitality, and I'm, I'm grateful that the Spirit's obviously working fruits of the Spirit uh, that, that's going forth and, and touching people's lives, so let us continue to improve our serve in the community around us. And to that end, we continue our sermon series on spiritual gifts. We're in week three. We skipped a week last week, so we're in week three of a series we're calling Charisma, Spiritual Gifts of Grace. In week one, just to recap, we looked closely at that Greek word charisma, a word that means something very different in the New Testament than it does in English. In in the Greek, charisma is a gift of divine grace. It's not an ability to impress others with charm, but it's a gift of divine grace. Grace. Do you remember the full definition? Charisma is a gift of divine grace for the upbuilding of the community of Jesus designed to woo the world back to the God who is love. This morning we'll be discussing mostly the part about wooing the world back. So, uh, charisma is a gift we've discussed, and we call them spiritual gifts, Because they come to us through the Holy Spirit. And so if you are a disciple of Jesus, you have spiritual gifts. If you enjoy the life of the Holy Spirit within you, you have spiritual gifts. In fact, uh, Martin Luther, as some of you know, he, he said that as Christians we should daily remember our baptism. That's why churches have the baptismal font out every week. To remember our baptism. And at our baptism... We should remember also the spiritual gifts that we've received from God, when we received the Spirit. So all of this uh, we, we talked about in week one, and why do we have these gifts? It's not for self-congratulations. It's for the sake of building up each other in love. Our, our key text was Ephesians four verse 16. "The body makes itself grow and that it builds itself up with love as each one does their part." like uh, building these little nifty things, right? As each one does their part. Now, in week two of our series, Pastor Stephanie explained how using our gifts is an act of worship. Worship is not just singing or doing something on Sunday, though it's certainly that, but it's also using our gifts. It's also serving seven days a week. She explained how using our gifts is our logical act of worship, As Paul writes in Romans 12, Offer your bodies as a living sacrifice to God. This is your logical act of worship. It's logical because when we come to discover our spiritual gifts, it only makes sense to to then put them to use as a way of saying thank you to God. It's logical because when we reckon with the reality that the Spirit of God has made a home in our hearts, Reckon with this reality. The Spirit of God has made a home in our hearts. If we get this, it's only logical to offer our whole lives back to God in worship. That's the reality. The Spirit of God has shut up, has set up shop in our hearts. And so the logical thing to do is to offer to God our spiritual gifts as, as worship. So that's a brief recap of weeks one and two. I hope that's enough to get us on the same page. Now into week three, and today we read the third of four key passages on spiritual gifts, 1 Corinthians 12. Let us approach the holy scriptures in the spirit of prayer. Join me in prayer. Good, good Father, may your word instruct us, your spirit teach us, and the glory of Jesus become our single concern. Amen. Listen to part of Paul's letter to the early Christian church in Corinth, a city in modern-day Greece. The word of the Lord from the Common English Bible. Brothers and sisters, I don't want you to be ignorant about spiritual gifts. You know that when you were Gentiles, you were often misled by false gods that can't even speak. So I want to make it clear to you That no one says Jesus is cursed when speaking by God's Spirit. And no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. There are different spiritual gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are different ministries, but the same Lord. And there are different activities, but the same God who produces all of them in everyone. A demonstration of the Spirit is given to each person for the common good. A word of wisdom is given by the Spirit to one person, a word of knowledge to another according to the same Spirit, faith to still another by the same Spirit, gifts of healing to another in the one Spirit, performance of miracles to another, prophecy to another, the ability to tell spirits apart to another, different kinds of tongues to another, and the interpretation of the tongues to another. All of these things are produced by the one and same Spirit who gives what he wants To each person. This is the word of the Lord. We'll stop here. The reason Paul includes this section in his letter to the Corinthians is the same reason we're doing a sermon series on spiritual gifts. Verse 1 Brothers and sisters, I don't want you to be ignorant about spiritual gifts. Paul's wish is the same as ours. We don't want you to be unaware of the wonderful thing called spiritual gifts. That's the sentiment, and I hope that's come across as we've been stepping through the most relevant scripture texts on the topic. We don't want you to be ignorant. We don't want you to be unaware. We don't want you to miss out on a life of meaning and purpose that comes from discovering, developing, and displaying one's God-given gifts. We don't want you to miss out on that kind of life. Friends, this is the abundant life. Of which Jesus Christ speaks. I have come, Jesus says, so that they could have life. Indeed, so that they could live life to the fullest. This life to the fullest is available to every one of us. This life of meaning and mission it isn't reserved for a special class of Christians. It's for each and every one of us, produced by the same Spirit. No matter what season of life you are in, no matter what age, what occupation, or what personality you might have, God is working in your life to instill the ability to serve others for the common good. Are you open to this work? Paul makes this point earlier in the letter, chapter 3, verse 9. He writes, We are God's co-workers, Think about that statement. We are God's co-workers, Paul writes. That is, we are doing something with God. We are working on a project together with God. We have things to do with God. Of course, it's God who's in charge. Christ is the boss, if you will. Christ is the architect. Christ is the one who makes the designs and draws up the blueprints. But Christ invites every one of us, into the workshop. This is an astonishing act of divine humility, but it's true for you and I. Christ invites us to work on a project together with him. We are God's co-workers, Paul says. It's within this framework of understanding that we should think about spiritual gifts. Because we are working on God's project Together with God and with one another, we have received spiritual gifts. That's why we have them. Because this is the setup, Christ instills within us certain gifts so that we can do our part in the work. We've been invited into the workshop and we've been given these gifts so that we can be the salt of the earth and a light on a hill, as Jesus says. Or in the words of Paul, so that each person can contribute to the common good. If you have your Bibles open, I I encourage you to underline verse, I think it's verse 7 or verse 8, where it says, For the common good, a demonstration of the Spirit is given to each person for the common good. Now, if you don't usually mark in your Bibles, you might want to make this one exception and underline, For the common good. The Greek word is symphero, which from which we get the word symphony sympharo, symphony. The Spirit invites us to join God in creating a harmonious symphony in the world. We have these spiritual gifts, my friends, so that we can join God in making the world a better place. Now, let me be clear. When I say making the world a better place, I mean something different than when politicians or social theorists or Oprah talk about making the world a better place. There may be some overlap, but the better place is defined by Christ, not by politicians or philosophers or celebrities. This is crucial to understand because the politicians and philosophers are usually quite content with leaving God out of the picture. Their view of the better place is actually, is actually a, a view where God is, is not present. After all, God can be quite inconvenient. If you don't know that yet, well, you'll find out soon enough. God likes things done in a certain way, and often these things are at odds with our ways. Therefore, most definitions of making the world a better place fall terribly short of the vision God has for the world. That's why we must gaze toward the scriptures to see this better place that God is working on, to which we are invited, not to textbooks or television. Certain textbooks may help, to be sure, but only insofar as God's wisdom might be found there. What happens when we fix our gaze to the scriptures is that we see that the better place is God's world of shalom. It's God's kingdom, the kingdom of God, the primary theme of Jesus' preaching. It's God's reality. It's God's world of justice and peace, beauty and joy, truth and love. A world that sings its symphony with pride. It's a world with all of these things. This is God's better place. And it must be repeated that all of these things, justice, truth, love, and so on, they're defined by Jesus Christ, held together by Jesus Christ, and brought to completion in Jesus Christ hope I'm speaking plainly enough. This better place is where God's good presence is acknowledged everywhere, where God is intimately known by individuals, and where that fellowship is shared in community. That's the part that's often left out. This better place is where every knee bows to Christ, and every tongue confesses his kingship. To put it more simply, in this better place What God wants happens. (laughs) That's the truth. Deep beneath the surface of spiritual gifts. That's what I think Paul has in mind when he says these gifts are for the common good. Of course, we know that in one sense, this better place will not arrive until the end of the ages. We call this the eschaton. The world as we know it will be changed when Christ appears in the flesh once more. When Christ descends from heaven to earth, just as he ascended with a glorious resurrected body, the better place will come in its fullness. This must happen, we are told, before the better place is completed. Knowing this, we ought to have a fairly modest appraisal of what any one generation or individual could do to further the better place. We could never bring about the better place in its entirety, even as we are working with God, unless God sees fit to return in the person of Christ. That's the promise we have. However, and this is a hefty however, however, that doesn't mean we are just to wait around for this to happen and do nothing about it. God never hints at this idea in the New Testament, that we just wait around until the eschaton, twiddling off our thumbs, singing songs about the coming glory. What we see instead in the New Testament are all sorts of calls and invitations and exhortations to get in God's workshop and do our part. God wants us to show up for work, eager to use the tools God gives us to make the world a better place. I think, I think so many Christians in America tend to forget this aspect of the better world. We don't believe that God has actually invited us to join God in doing something together. We do this, we think this at our own peril. And I have to believe, honestly, that the, the, this forgetfulness is a reason, one of the reasons, maybe a big reason. The church has lost its relevance to many young people. So why do we forget this aspect of the better world, this aspect that it's not just about waiting for the next life, but about doing something about this one as we work with God? I think we forget this aspect for all sorts of reasons. For some, maybe it's laziness, quite frankly. For others, maybe it's cynicism. Oh, what can little me do? For others, it's fear or anxiety. We'll give God Sundays, but We aren't so sure life will be enjoyable if we give him the rest. For many, it's a distorted view of God's mission. It's it's an incomplete view of what God's doing in the world. And for some of us, frankly, we've just never been taught all of this in a way that we understood it. For some of us, we've never been taught in a way that let us know how to apply this to our personal lives. We've never been taught how to join God's activity in our family life, outside of saying a prayer before meals. We've never been taught how to see God's activity in our workplaces, wherever that workplace might be, and then work with Him there. We've never been taught how to imagine God's dream for our neighborhoods and our communities. Nor have we been taught how to get to work with God and making this dream a reality. Perhaps you're hearing this and it sounds good and right, but the truth is many of us have never figured out how to actually work these ideas into a moment-to-moment existence, a life of mission with God. Some of you have, many of you have, but some of us haven't. So let me just say that Pastor Stephanie and I are committed to teaching these practical things as clearly as we can. Now we know, as well as you do, that sometimes we struggle speaking plainly about our life with God. After all, we spent eight years writing papers for Ph.D. professors, <laughs> and just these last four trying to talk to non-theology nerds. We're aware of this, uh, and we're, we're trying to speak plainly. We're committed to this, because perhaps nothing is more important today as communicating plainly how life with God happens in our daily lives. So let me start by summing up as simply as I can the point I've been trying to make. The point, I think, is behind this for the common good statement in Paul's letter to the Corinthians. God has sent you an invitation. You are called to join God right now in making the world a better place. You've been given spiritual gifts to make this happen. You've also been given a prayer taught by Jesus that goes, May your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We are praying that God's better place comes to the earth, and God answers our prayer, if we have ears to hear, by saying back to us, Join me in making it so. Brothers and sisters, it's because of all this, this reality of God's work and our work, clasping hands through the Holy Spirit, that I don't want you to be unaware of these gifts. This is meaning and purpose in an otherwise pretty meaningless world. So do you believe this idea? Is this the view you have of your life's purpose? That the primary thing you are doing in life is working together with God on the various projects God has for you, projects in your family life, projects in your work life, projects in your neighborhood, projects in the church, projects outside of the church. Is this your view of of what you're doing in life? I believe this is the view that God wants us all to have. This is why we're living. This is why we have gifts. And if if you're not quite there yet, if you're not quite sure about this... (laughs) I believe you will be restless and largely unsatisfied until this is the view that you're able to make your own. But I'm not a preacher, you say, or I'm not a teacher. I'm no miracle worker or tongue speaker or none of the other things that Paul lists in 1 Corinthians 12. Well, let's talk about that for the remainder of our time. Perhaps some of you have taken the spiritual gifts assessment and they all ranked a little low. Or perhaps you surveyed the list of 20 and none of them stood out as one of your gifts. Or maybe, as we've read the scripture text so far, with all the various spiritual gifts mentioned, you really haven't been able to identify one of them as as something that you've been given. If anybody has experienced this, then what I'm about to say must be said. I don't believe the lists of spiritual gifts in the New Testament are meant to be exhaustive. Pastor Stephanie touched on this two weeks ago, but I think it bears repeating. I don't think the lists are meant to be exhaustive, but suggestive. I think the lists are intended to provide a sample of some of the spiritual gifts. Some of the most common gifts in the first century church, I think, are named in the New Testament. In fact, some of these names that are listed are really umbrella terms for all sorts of other things. Take... Service, for example, and Steph mentioned this. Diakonia is the Greek word. Can you imagine all of the diverse expressions of this gift throughout the history of the church? This this gift called service. How many myriad ways there are to enact this in the world. And so, even within the New Testament itself, I think, it opens us up to thinking creatively and imaginatively about how God has gifted us to further the common good in God's world. I'm following the thought of 16th century reformer John Calvin here. Calvin understands this list, as one scholar says, to be only a partial list in the infinite variety of gifts that God bestows. He uses uh, an image of the sun. (laughs) I want to read this to you. Calvin says, God pours out his gifts as the sun spreads its beam over all the land. Think about this image for a minute. God pours out his gifts as the sun spreads its beams over all the land. Think of the sun on a bright day, how the sun's rays smile all over the place. You can feel its warmth on your skin. It has the power to lift you up from the winter's depression. It signals Peace and security after a severe storm. That's what it's like when God pours out his spiritual gifts. It's like the sun that spreads its beams all over the land. Another image Calvin uses is a spring of water. Calvin writes, It must be so taken that from his spirit, God causes an infinite variety of gifts to flow out to men and women, as though from a single spring, which can never run dry. One of the largest springs in the world is called Big Spring, and it's located in the Ozark region of Missouri. By any chance, has anyone been there? Anyone? No, I haven't either. Uh, So, what I've heard is that 13,000 liters of water flow every second in this spring, if you can wrap your mind around that. It's a powerful, beautiful, and life giving spring. The water supply is unending, for God continues to pour forth rain from the skies. In this way, the spring is continually refreshed and renewed and provides newness to all who drink of it. God's Spirit is like this spring. And from this spring, God brings forth an endless flow of gifts to his people for the common good. So that's Calvin's view of the variety and quantity of spiritual gifts. But I'm no preacher, you say. Well, no worries. For the spring of life, which is the Holy Spirit, flows out to you as well. So drink from it, all of you, in all your variety and in all your diversity, and taste its freshness. Be renewed by its purity. Receive the energy you need from this overflowing spring to work with God on making the world a better place for the glory of Jesus. Amen? That doesn't mean I'm done yet. Sometimes kids think amen it's just a uh, oh that means I'm done I'm almost done <laughs> I'm going to invite Lorraine up in just a minute to give a, a personal sort of witness to to what it means to to use the gifts God has given to her diverse gifts for for bringing about the common good for the glory of Jesus first, I just want to mention uh, you can sit down for a second yeah just be comfy I got a little bit more <laughs> uh, so you may have noticed in, in some of the, the publications, the heartbeat or something, that we've also, we're, we're going to encourage you, we are encouraging you, to make use of a tool called Strengths Finder. Stephanie and I were introduced to this online assessment in seminary and it has benefited us uh, quite richly ever since. Now last summer we had our ministry interns, Peter and Amanda, take this assessment and they found it helpful as well. At least that's what they told me. You can ask them afterwards. Uh, in fact, uh, and, and Lorraine might mention that a little bit more, but over 13 million people have taken this assessment, and is a, a tool that has been refined over five decades of research. So this tool, uh, you should know that it's not just for Christians. It provides individuals, irregardless of religion, with a list of their top five strength areas. It identifies certain talents and aptitudes. So in this way, it's it is different than spiritual gifts. We believe spiritual gifts are for Christians when they receive the Spirit, whereas these natural abilities and talents come out to every individual, regardless of religion. So there is a difference, which is why we wanted to talk about spiritual gifts first, but we will be talking about these talents, these strengths, in a couple weeks as we look at the parable of talents that Jesus tells. For now, let it just be said that these natural talents are still well worth thinking about. That's because everything we'd call a natural talent doesn't really come from generic nature, but from God, right? Think about a surgeon who is not a Christian. Where does this surgeon get the ability to do their work for the common good? They get it from a tradition of medicine and science. But for where does this knowledge come from? From God, who causes his reign to fall on everyone. And how does the surgeon understand this knowledge from the tools and supplies that God has provided from the earth and, and from the brain that God has given this surgeon? And so there are these natural abilities, and God, I think, we can still call them God-given gifts. And so when when you all go through a successful surgery, it's right to give thanks to God for this gift of healing. These surgeons offer gifts of God through the natural abilities that God has given. So that's one uh, example of why paying attention to these natural abilities are important, and even more so for us called to join God in the larger project of working for the common good. In fact, many times we see that God has taken into consideration our strengths when pouring out spiritual gifts. For example, one of Stephanie's strengths is, is called Discipline. It's not one of mine, unfortunately, but it's one of hers. And discipline is a helpful strength to have for one who works as a pastor, right? Work that is often self-guided and somewhat unclear. Can you see how God has taken into consideration Stephanie's natural strength when giving her the spiritual gift of pastoring and teaching and preaching? And so for those who have the time to take the finder assessment, which is free, by the way, thanks to a Lily grant, my guess is that you'll discover how your strengths are deeply connected to your spiritual gifts. And my prayer is that God will use all of this to further the common good, which is to the glory of Jesus by the power of the Spirit. So I leave you with this question. How is God calling you To join him in making the world a better place, a world defined by the love of Jesus Christ. Lorraine Brown, one of our elders, is going to share some of her own experience. Uh, I invite her up at this time. Here's some water if you need it. Because I don't have discipline. I just came. I just finished yesterday. Well, it's, it's very interesting. Oh, yeah. You
1: yeah. should have a microphone, shouldn't I? I consider myself rather loud. And so do other people. So, Okay, so originally Pastor Brandon asked me to tell you more about my experience with strength finders. And it is a tool to learn more about all of our strengths. The strengths of team members that I work with and how to use those strengths. I can tell you I'm strategic, I'm responsible, I'm a communicator, I'm an arranger, and I'm empathic. People who know me, that's not a surprise, not a newsflash. When we develop teams, it's essential to know everyone's strengths in order to have people functioning in their area of strength and to develop a team that uses a broad cross-section of them rather than having everyone with the same strength. Again. That's not a newsflash to anybody. So as I prayed about this opportunity to talk with you and talked with my parents about it, you can thank them for this, um, I chose to do something slightly different than tell you why this tool is such a great thing. Instead, I chose to tell you a story, my story of the last 10 months. I believe by doing that, it can tell you more about how God has used my awareness of my strengths than any other way. This story begins the end of June 2016. I was feeling pretty comfortable and confident in my life until I learned that my boss of six years had taken a position with Central Florida Health in Leesburg, Florida. I knew he was looking for another position, but I thought it would be somewhere else within IU Health, and that was really comfortable for me. Over the 13 years we had worked together, we had become very good friends. He and his wife are a brother and sister in Christ, and I knew that was a very rare relationship to have with a boss. His last day was going to be July 22nd. The day before he left, he came into my office and said to me that he had a job in Florida. I just laughed at him. His response was, I'm serious. We make a great team. I have a position, and I want you to consider it. I was not feeling called by God to move to Florida. I was not called a feeling called by God to move anywhere beside Lafayette, West Lafayette, and I had it in my plan to retire from IU Health. Recall, one of my strengths is I'm an arranger, so I had it all worked out. There are many bunny trails I could go down here about selling a house and deciding to build a new house in West Lafayette, but suffice it to say, God was already at work in this journey. There were some extremely painful twists and turns in my life between August and December. As I mentioned, we sold a house, we were living in an apartment, we were in the process of building a house, and work was no longer the fun and enjoying place that it had previously been. There were two things that were constant in this period of my life. The first was that my parents, my three best friends, and a few select others walked beside me and kept reassuring me that they knew God had a a plan for this crazy time in my life, even though I couldn't see it. The second was that about every two weeks, Joshua would either text me, email me, or call me and tell me he needed me in Florida. I kept resisting. It was good to know that he still valued my work because I wasn't hearing that where I was. By December, things at work had become so intolerable for, mo- for multiple reasons, I was literally afraid I would lose my job. So I called Joshua and asked him if the job was still open, and it was. Within a month, I had interviewed and accepted a position with Central Florida Health working in Leesburg, Florida as their administrative director of nursing. So, lesson number one, listen, be open, be ready to move, and in my case, literally. So, I started my job on February the 6th. At the time, I lived in a hotel for the first week. I moved into an apartment the second week and slept on an air mattress for two weeks until I could get some furniture delivered. The only other thing in my apartment were two plastic deck chairs that my parents had loaned me. Um... During this time, Melvin said to me that he could not see himself living in Florida, even though he had encouraged me to take the job. So now I had a job, but I might not have a marriage, and I didn't know what that was going to look like, but I was already in Florida. I had to trust that if God brought me here, he would deal with the roadblocks through it, and much of the time I was completely overwhelmed. Lesson number two is God will deal with the challenges even when we can't see through them. So what does all of this have to do with spiritual gifts and strength finders? I'm almost there. By mid-March, Melvin had moved to Florida, and now we needed to find a church for the weeks that we were not traveling. I started asking around work because I didn't have any other contacts to find a church. One of the people I asked just happened to live in the same building as Melvin and I do in the apartment complex, and she told me that we needed to try a church by the name of Real Life. I looked it up on the internet and felt like it was at least a good place to start. It was evident by their website that it was a biblically-based church and obviously vibrant and growing, so we made the decision to attend. We were in for an experience like I had never related to in a church. I knew this was a mega church going in just by what I could see and hear about it, but I had no idea what I was going to experience. The church is actually in seven different locations around Orlando, and it has an average weekly attendance of 7,000 people. The service is structured to have a praise time at each campus, but the message is simulcast to the various campuses from the Claremont Church. So. When we walked into this auditorium, it looked like we were going to a concert. It was darkened. There was smoke in the air, the, the performing smoke. You know, it was like, where did I come? The, the pastor also then had a very casual style around him. And so I sat in the service, and there were a number of things that just weren't my preference. But the message was completely scriptural. And so as I really thought about whether or not I would go back, I realized that the things that I didn't particularly care for, the darkened auditorium, the, the 15 minutes of, of praise time at the beginning that felt more like a concert, those were just my preference. It was obvious that this church was having a huge impact on the greater Orlando area. So once again, God was teaching me to get out of the way. As much as I would like for it to be all about me, it really isn't all about me. Why do I tell this story? I tell you this story because there are many things that we're asked to do that we may not agree with or we've done before. But if they're in the best interest of the growth of our ministry or the greater common good, as Brandon talked to us about— then we need to get out of the way. While we may have taken spiritual gifts inventories in the past, they may be something that our current pastors aren't aware of our strengths. God has called them and we have called them to build a ministry. And I would ask that we as a congregation begin to ask ourselves that if we're pushing back on things and not wanting to do things, are those things our preference? Or are they scriptural And salvation issues. If they're salvation issues, then absolutely we must push back. But if there are preference issues, I go back to the first lesson of my 10 months. Listen, be open, be ready to move because God will move us.
0: Prayer, uh, thanking God for His uh, His words, and uh, and then we'll partake of that that word through the sacrament of communion. Let's pray. God, you you are generous toward us. You give us grace. You give us love, and you give us something to do. And we thank you for all of all of this. That 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 forms this abundant life in christ and lord we thank you for the sacrament of communion we are about to partake which is the sign of the the most important part of that fullness of life which is our union with god our life with jesus we are eager to enjoy that life in your name we pray amen